All right. So welcome to Talks with Glow. Woo! Are you excited? Yay! Okay. Um, so talks. Welcome to Talks with Glow, where I converse about life, theology, and health. If you haven't heard of TWG, then what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? What are you doing? Um, so for my first time listeners, I am a current doctoral student at Duke University studying occupational therapy while also earning a certificate in theology and healthcare. Today, we will be hitting on a few topics, which are health, suffering, and Jesus. I also have a special guest with me. Give it up for Stephanie Kim. All right, Stephanie, how are you today? Good. How are you? Um, you know, you know, school school is rough out here, but you know, you know, you gotta have hope, you know. Um, so tell the people a few things about yourself, really short, you know, a little short bio of who you are, where you come from. Yes, I am from Irvine, California. I am also a doctoral student here at Duke University. I'm studying occupational therapy with Gloria. We're actually roommates and I'm so happy to be her first, (laughs) um, guest on this podcast, which I hope continues (laughs) and has multiple series that we can also, uh, partake in. Perfect. What a beautiful introduction of Stephanie. We love Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today's goal is to converse about health, suffering, and Jesus. And so I will be referencing three books slash articles, which I will name as the discussion goes by. But the main thing that I want Stephanie, including the rest of my listeners to understand is the value of suffering. Um, So remember this phrase as we go about this discussion, the value of suffering. Um, So the first book that I'm going to talk about here is by John F. Kilner, and he wrote a book um, called Why People Matter. So as I read chapter seven of this book, I realized um, the idea of God creating every single human being such, oh, I messed up, my bad. So as I read chapter seven of the book, I realized the idea of God creating every single human being should prompt our hearts into believing in the dignity and significance of every single human being. And so the book continues to say, um, we live in a world where everyone does not believe in the dignity and significance of every person. And the outcome of this is seen through racism, segregation, discrimination, poverty, stigmas, and more. And so the book sheds light on Jesus being the ultimate example of love. And through his life, we see the value he has for humanity. And so God revealed his love and value of creation by coming down to earth in the form of Jesus to reconcile the world back to eternal life by dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead. And now if we go on page 146 of this book, um, Kilner states a couple of words here. And he says, failing to take seriously the distinction between Christ being God's image and humanity being in God's image has contributed to overlooking a second important observation that sin has damaged people but not God's image. If people were God's image, then by damaging people, sin would plausibly damage God's image. However, if people are created according to the standard of God's image, there is no damage done to the standard just because people are later damaged. 
And there is ample discussion and documentation in the Bible regarding the destructive impact of sin on people. Yet, at the same time, there is every indication that people remain in God's image, that no harm has been done to the status or to the image on which it is based. People retain a special connection with God, though their relationship with God is badly damaged, and God still intends for people to reflect likelessness um, to God, though in actuality they largely fail to do so. And so the image of God is the standard of who people are created to be embodied in the person of Christ. And that standard is not diminished in any way because of skin, of sin, not skin, but sin. <laughs> um, and these are the words of Kilner in pages in page 160, 146 and 147. And so reading this. I'm like so amazed at Kilner. I think he did a really great job at really reminding us of the fact that people are not identified by their sin, but their identity truly comes from remembering that God has made them and God has been the one who placed value like upon their lives. Um, and I think that's a good thing to remember, especially when we look at people and just humanity in general. Some people may do us wrong somebody might step on my shoe one day and i'm like oh like you're such a bad person um but god is really calling us to not look at people um, based off their wrongdoings or based off their sins but instead look at them as um like a person who god has created in his image um and i think kilner did such a great job at explaining this or emphasizing on this and so now moving on to the question here um the first question that I'm going to present to Stephanie is, how have you grown up understanding and believing in the significance of people? Um, so any life lessons your parents, friends, or mentors have inspired you with or um, anything that has struck with you or stuck with you as you've grown up when you have um, thought about humanity in general? Yeah, so... I don't know, when you were giving me this question, Gloria, it made me think of my college years. Um, so my parents, you know, coming from an immigrant family told me to like love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that's something mm -hmm. that um, is written in the Bible as well, because serving others is serving the Lord because people mm -hmm. are, you know, we, we are the Lord's people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so knowing that going into undergrad, I think I was very sacrificial. Like I wanted to please people in the best way possible. So I would get very, very hurt if somebody would wrong me when mm -hmm. I just wanted to, wanted them to like me and, and mm -hmm. you know, be um, servient to them. Mm -hmm. um, and when this would happen where I would get, you know, pessimistic comments and whatnot, um, even though I was trying to be a people pleaser, I thought I was super sinful. Mm -hmm. um, until my college roommate at the time said, Steph, you don't need to love everyone as intensely as you do your closest family and friends. Rather, mm -hmm. it's to understand that people um, that I may like despise or get bad bad vibes from mm -hmm. are also God's children, right? Um, mm -hmm. They matter in God's eyes. Um, and they're ad adored by the Lord. Um, and I can respect that, but it doesn't have to be the point where I am pouring out my soul and heart mm -hmm. to them yeah. um, and not guiding or guarding um, what you know, image I had. Mm -hmm. And so 
I think um, in understanding the significance of people, I recognize that everyone on this earth is God's children, and I want to make sure to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's like a line where you um, have to draw in terms of yeah. people pleasing, and that can turn into very negative yeah. um, influence. So that's something that I have grown up understanding, and I, I understood it even more as I entered uh, mm-hmm. my undergraduate career. Mm. I like that. Look at that. <laughs> Words of wisdom from mm. Stephanie, y'all. All right. I have to add her Instagram on here for you guys <laughs> so you guys can follow her and Please receive some more words of wisdom. That's right. Um, but that's really good. I, I think a lot of the times it's like hard even as Christians because we have this call mm-hmm. to make disciples. We have this call to love this world or the people in this world. And sometimes like it's hard to Mm -hmm. find that balance like Mm -hmm. how much of myself am am i supposed to um extend to people Mm -hmm. um and you know am i wrong for not giving my full self to people like am i loving people like christ if i'm not literally get um dying on a cross for this person Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so it's kind of hard to find that balance sometimes but i think you brought out a really good point on Mm -hmm. like yeah like i should view every person as god's child um, but like the level of, you know, the intensity or, or the level of love that I'm able to give um, my mom or my dad is not going to be the same exactly. as someone who I just met right. yesterday. So right. um, so that was a really great point, mm-hmm. And I love that. So. All right. And so the second question is, how have you understood Jesus's role in dying for our sins in relation to his care and love for humanity and how has his life influenced your view of humanity yeah um i think i truly started understanding jesus's role in dying for our sins um every easter my youth group would watch the movie the passion of the christ have mm, you seen that's that a movie? good that's a good movie yeah and it's a very shocking movie mm-hmm. because um it's so real first yeah. of all and the movie portrays jesus's death in a very you know, non-censored way. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I think after watching that movie year by year, it doesn't, you know, doesn't shock me any less every year, but yeah. it's so shocking because Jesus came as like a sinful man to walk with mm-hmm. his disciple and people to show us the ultimate example of love. Right. And mm-hmm. he showed us the values that we should be holding on for this human life um, by coming down to earth. And it was only then that Jesus accepted the cost of sin as a human to resurrect and then give us everlasting, you know, salvation. Mm-hmm. And so when I think of the story, it just shows. And when I watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ, I still I still get scared mm-hmm. <laughs> at yeah. the movie. Yeah. But it shows how trivial my life is. Um, and I'm not saying like my life doesn't matter. My life is insignificant. But it shows how trivial my concerns are compared to such an origin story that has literally living water in it. Mm-hmm. Um, to show that my daily struggles and burdens in comparison to what God had to face is incomparable, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so when understanding his role... I think it's really impacted on um, my understanding of, you know, how he came onto this earth, walked as walked with men who were sinful and then mm-hmm. had to um, be crucified in such a gruesome way and then resurrected for our sake. It mm-hmm. just puts me into place in this earth. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm like an ant um, <laughs> yeah. compared to everything that God has yeah. been through and God mm-hmm. has continued to create. So yeah that's a that's a really good point because 
Jesus is literally God. Yeah. Like, literally God in the flesh mm -hmm. chose to step off of his throne in heaven to come down on earth to live a life that is nothing compared to what he was right. living um, in heaven. Mm -hmm. So, like, how humbling is that? Mm -hmm. Like, for God to come down to do life with us, to serve us, mm -hmm. and then also die for us. Mm -hmm. So that definitely puts me in my place as well. So I really like how you um, just mentioned the humility yeah. that comes out of just reflecting mm -hmm. um, on Jesus's life. So that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so the last question in this section is, um, what do you think of the quote in page 146? Mm -hmm. um, as I was reading it, uh, I understood that humans were made as an extension of God's image. That describes how humans, we as humans, are not mini-gods. Um, yeah. And sometimes we like to think that we are mini-gods. Right. And it gave, it gave me a sense of relief because it helped me understand that no matter what sins we as humans commit, it doesn't scratch God's righteous title. Right. Um, which, thank goodness, mm -hmm. um, because if every single time I committed a sin and it affected God's title... I don't know where his title would be, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so it gives me a lot of comfort and peace that actually, hey, no matter what we do in this life, um, the fact that God is so holy and powerful does not diminish um, because we are an extension of his image. We are not gods. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what it gave me. I like that. I like that. We are not gods, but we are <laughs> extensions of his image. That's a really great reminder that I think, everyone can hold into their hearts so thank you for that stephanie um so the next section here um we're going to be addressing a book by alan verhey um this book is called or it's titled compassion and suffering looking heavenward and so this book speaks on christians being experts and the trailblazers of compassion because of the life of jesus and what he has done for us it also emphasized compassion being celebrated, especially in the life of health professionals, professionals such as nurses and doctors. Mm -hmm. But the question, where are the boundaries in compassion, arises as health professionals may engage in groups that help terminally ill patients in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so the book encourages us to take a pause and ask ourselves if compassion can guide us into making morally right decisions or outrageous decisions such as when a man um, named robert latimer he killed his daughter because mm -hmm. she was suffering from cerebral um palsy i think i pronounced that wrong oh cerebral palsy um thank you steph <laughs> and so he was then celebrated because of his i quote compassion so him ending his daughter's life um was celebrated because he did not want to see her suffer and this is what he considered to be compassionate and so this idea of suffering also begins to uh, unravel in this book and the book references from another author's book called recognizing suffering by eric cassell and so alan verhey continues to state that cassell is a wise and good physician 
because Cassell has mentioned how dishonoring it is for doctors in the health field to simply view people's suffering with the reductionist purpose to diagnose and provide a remedy. And so Cassell emphasizes truly knowing and understanding someone's suffering is a exhaustive way such as um, understanding that suffering is individual in part in particular which means that every person's suffering is felt and perceived differently so as health professionals we must seek the interpretation of a person's past um, the events that may have happened in that person's life and the person's purpose for their future and so within this book um, by Allen on page 105, he states that for anyone to know the suffering of another would seem to demand an exhaustive understanding of what makes them the individual that they are. And so the book continues to mention Cassell and he mentions that in order for health providers to be effective at giving the best care they must understand that suffer they must understand the suffering of their patients um, and so the book continues to state that if we truly know and seek understanding of a person's life such as their values and purpose which co constitutes a person's identity and if we are capable of discerning judgments concerning a person's harmony or disharmony mm -hmm following the reason for why and how they suffer, then as health professionals, we will know how to respond to people's suffering in a wise and compassionate way. Mm -hmm. And so compassion must come with wisdom and discernment. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think this is a really good point that Alan Verhey uh, mentioned in his book and mm -hmm. also just referencing from Eric Cassell's book. I think he made a good point here when he mentions that compassion must come with wisdom and discernment because um, for example if I see someone on the on a homeless person on the street and I feel like a lot of the times we automatically think oh that person may need money or that person mm -hmm. may need clothes or that person may need shoes whatever the case may be mm -hmm. but we don't truly know what that person needs until we have a conversation with that person or until we actually develop a relationship with that person mm -hmm. I think it's easy to grab the things that we may have and just like give it to people mm -hmm. but I think it takes a lot of wisdom and discernment for us to sit down with people talk with them and actually have a conversation with them to, to really see where are their needs coming from? Why do they need what they need? Um, why do they desire what they desire? I think this kind of gives us a, a a better approach to how we can help people in a very like effective way or how we can practice compassion in a very effective way. When we sit down with people and ask them like, hey, like, what's up? Like, what's going on? Like, what, what do you need from me? Um, and how can um, I build a relationship with you so we can expand on the needs that you may have, you know? So, okay, so continuing with the questions here. So the first question is, in light of all that this book spoke about, tell me, Stephanie, why um, did you choose to pursue um, the field of occupational therapy? Sure. Um, there, I would say that, you know, it's not just one thing that helped me pursue OT mm -hmm. um, but I guess it starts with like the context of the church uh, mm -hmm. I took care of this little boy with autism he was f I want to say three or four at the time um, and I don't know I felt very 
compassionate and empathetic to this kid um, as I was doing the children's ministry. And I just thought that it was because I liked kids. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, take care of him in the best way that I could. But his parents kind of saw it in a different light. My, his parents actually encouraged me to learn more about this profession and how um, this child has grown through the field of OT and how um, receiving those sessions has helped his you know, behavior and his mm-hmm. occupational disruptions that now I can call occupational disruptions. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, his parents saw something in me that I didn't. And so I considered that like, hey, that's kind of funky. I just thought I liked kids. But looking back, I thank God for giving me that connection to begin with mm-hmm. um, because that was made in the church and that, you know, God spoke not directly to me, but to his parents to help me pursue this vocation. Um, and so understanding that we're called to love others challenges me uh, because this is something that I can do for a job. Right. And so. Uh, I, you know, I still keep in touch with the parents and the, uh, and the boy, but uh, I want to learn more about how this passion and how my religion mm-hmm. can also translate into profession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I love that. Um, I think one way that you know that you're living in just the will of God, um, especially when it comes to like choosing a profession or choosing like... Um, like a career that you want to go into is like not only are you able to like provide for yourself like of course the lord wants to bless you he Mm -hmm. wants to make sure that you flourish um in your life but also he wants to make sure that you're able to see him Mm -hmm. within that profession or you're able to recognize like how he is coming through in um a a client that you're working with or Mm -hmm. how he is using your gifts or how he is growing your your character and your abilities Mm -hmm. like i think if when you are able to like clearly see these things Mm -hmm. it, it really shows how present like god is in your journey um so that's a really good point that you mentioned Mm -hmm. um stephanie so i love that Mm -hmm. and so the next question for you stephanie is how do you understand or view suffering okay this is a topic i think all christians Mm -hmm. at a certain point you know have to answer yeah um and it's a topic that i think can have continuous discussion on and so this is just kind of my quick take on it because this podcast does not need to be (laughs) two hours long um here's my take on suffering um i don't think that we as humans can ever comprehend the entirety of suffering would you agree with that i agree okay Uh, We're sinful, right? Mm -hmm. That's not a surprise. And so as humans, we don't have the capacity to understand and realize the influences of suffering in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Our brains, I hate to tell you, but are small. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's why, you know, God chooses to veil those parts to us and give it to us when it's only needed. Um, and, And when I say give it, I'm talking about understanding why suffering is needed Mm -hmm. Uh, so if we knew that all if we knew all the suffering that we'd go through in this life we'd say no way no way right yeah yeah (laughs) we complain that Mm -hmm. we don't want it um i would definitely give it a hard no uh but god told us that this worldly life is going to be hard and we as his children will go through a handful of suffering to develop perseverance Mm -hmm. right um and character amongst all the other traits that god wants us to have and that can only take place and develop if suffering occurs so mm-hmm. hate to break it to you but <laughs> humans are gonna suffer in this life and sometimes we're not gonna understand the entire picture and that's okay because god doesn't want us to god doesn't you know reveal it to us because we can't take it 
sorry that's just my hot take (laughs) (laughs) all right i love that stephanie that was really great i think um one encouraging thing that um i'm always reminded of when i think of suffering is the fact that jesus shares in our suffering like we're not alone um, in our time of grieving or in our time of turmoil or, or in our time of suffering you know like he has not left he has not left us alone in this journey like he is with us and he has been through the pains that we've that we're going through right now or have been through you know like he is present in it all so i think that's a really good point um stephanie on how like suffering helps us develop character and it helps us develop perseverance and it's important um especially just living in this world um we need to develop um, character Mm -hmm. so we can truly see god at the Mm -hmm. end like he is the goal he is who we're trying to see so Yeah. yeah good point and so the last question here in this section is um in light of what verhe and cassell said in in the book what are some takeaways um that you may have and how will you apply their ideas to your practice as a future OT? Yeah, so I, I really liked what was written in the book and what Gloria gave me as a summary of what the book and you know explained. And as an OT, I think we don't we're continuously learning it as doctoral students, you mm-hmm. know, two, three months into our curriculum. But as occupational therapists, we don't necessarily cure, but what might be more important is to, we actually learn to help our um, patients thrive with the existing conditions that they might Mm -hmm. have. Um, So Cassell, am I saying his name right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, He may be a great physician and he might understand someone's suffering, Um, but as an OT, I can take, this is a takeaway that I have, um, to learn a little bit more about the client's occupational perspective so kind of getting in the point of view of the patient and seeing their daily disruptions whether it be big or small that can affect the quality of life and trying to um, mitigate it right to try to learn to live with it um, and to thrive within it right so Mm -hmm. um, i think those kind of ideas were contrasted from what was written in the book and that's something that i took away from the reading yeah i love that that was so good um as you were saying that, um, how like, you know, as oh, occupational therapists, they really help people kind of thrive in their condition. Mm-hmm. Like, um, of course, when it comes to curing people, um, that has its place, right. you know, but when it comes to like learning how to thrive mm-hmm. in your condition, like to, you know, not allow the things that um, could be, uh, the things that could be like very let's see, what's the word, just discouraging, Mm -hmm. like your health, or Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you lost a family member, or Mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever condition that you may be in, like, these things could easily, like, discourage you, Mm -hmm. but for you to thrive in the midst of those things, Mm -hmm. it says a lot about your courage, it says a lot about the hope that you um, are securing yourself in, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, it just reveals the strength Mm -hmm. that we as human beings have, like for us to learn how to just like not allow our situations to get the best of us, but let's um, be more, um, I guess, authoritative over our situation or the things or or the problems that we may um, engage in. Like, you know, like let's be the ones who take control. Like let's, Mm -hmm. let's be the ones that define our situations Mm -hmm. and not allow our situations to define us. So Mm -hmm. yeah, really great point. 
Um, and so the last section here, um, we're going to be talking about um, the Baconian project. And so this is a article that is by Gerald McKinney. And the title of the article is Bioethics, the Body, and the Legacy of Bacon. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of the Baconian Project is, pre is present um, in this, is presented, my, my bad, not present, presented. <laughs> and this project believes that suffering is a total evil. And so we, so the article mentions that we must do everything in our power to avoid suffering and remove ourselves from it. And so the Baconian project also does not place a limit on healing and rejects the mortality of the, of the body. Mm -hmm. And in this view, medicine is powerful and there should be no limit to how we want to improve and advance our, bo our bodies. And through the lens of medicine, doctors and clinicians must relieve the pain and stress that patients may be undergoing. Mm -hmm. And so the condition of suffering must be altered as doctors and clinicians attempt to heal and eliminate suffering in the body. And so, moreover, the Baconian Project submits under the idea of surrendering the body to medicine and evil is associated with suffering. Mm -hmm. And so the relief of suffering and the expansion of choice tends to fall under the lines of medicine being the factor that fulfills that goal. Mm -hmm. And so the question of placing limits to how far medicine should be able to alter the body for the sake of health has been a prominent topic. And so the significance of the body has been argued and expressed differently in many cultural contexts. And this is where the determinants of medicine on the body um, may differ. Mm -hmm. And so the Baconian Project states that suffering has no meaning, um, which is why there should be a fight against it. And so as health is the primary goal of life, medicine is the way to fight against the threats of suffering and pain. Um, so yeah, this is a summary of the Baconia Project's very interesting perspective. Um, and it basically, you know, it's telling you to run away from suffering. Mm -hmm. Like, it's evil. It's bad. Like, you, you can get nothing from it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so the first question is here for Stephanie. Um, so what are your thoughts on the Baconian Project? Yeah, to all the listeners. <laughs> What do you guys think I think? <laughs> I just said suffering is, you know, some sort of meaning, right? Yeah. Um, I, I would say that I've never heard of this mm -hmm. uh, Baconian project. And I wrote that I disagree with it because suffering, though it might seem so horrid and, you know, it has no benefit in the moment, mm -hmm. it has meaning. Um, and of course, I'd love to avoid suffering at any cost. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not going to go out of my way to, you know, stub my toe and say that it's God's plan. <laughs> uh, but when it does come, because mm -hmm. it will come, right? Mm -hmm. um, and moments of suffering are inevitable to us as humans, it's important to remember in peace that God will be with us, right? Mm -hmm. um, like Gloria was saying, he, he, he shares that part with us mm -hmm. um, through thick and thin. So um, I, I really thought this Baconian project you know point of view was really interesting and it kind of gave me you know inspiration to think through my thoughts a little bit about how I understood suffering even though I've been a Christian for many many years um, to kind of remember why it's needed and to kind of rebalance my mm -hmm. thoughts I like that I like that uh, all right so the next question is have you seen medicine used 
in an abusive way in the hands of health professionals? And if not, how do you think health professionals can avoid this abuse? Um, yeah, so I, you know, I haven't seen it firsthand, um, you know, seeing medicine used in an abusive way. Uh, I haven't directly encountered it, but I've heard of, you know, scenarios. I'm actually in the Duke's Navigator program. I think it's called Duke Navigator's program, my bad. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a club made up of, you know, MDs, uh, what is it? MD students, PA students, OT, PT, all of these acronyms um, that uh, of interprofessional healthcare, you know, clinicians, future clinicians. And it's a club dedicated to navigate uh, people at end of life care and with difficult conversations. So one of the questions that was, you know, of topic was, what if a patient were to say to you that they refuse treatment because suffering is from the Lord? Mm. Um, hot take, and I'm just kind of putting Gloria on the spot, but what do you think about that? <laughs> oh, wow. You just putting me on the spot here. Hmm. Yeah, right? I don't know. It, yeah, it's so hard. It's really something to think about. Um, and I was very hesitant uh, when they gave us that prompt. And mm -hmm. I was like, what? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I, it made me think because what if God is providing a means to heal, right? I could mm -hmm. kind of, you know, put that question um, at the table. And one of my favorite pat or verses from the Bible is 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, And it talks about, how there's going to be temptations and trials trials in this life, but Christ provides opportunities of escape and uh, mm -hmm. strength to endure. So um, that's something that, you know, I will hopefully be able to update our listeners on as I learn more yeah. through the Lur uh, Duke mm -hmm. Navigators program. Uh, but it is kind of food for thought of how, um, what if God is providing this means to heal? Um, and, you know, suffering is definitely meaningful. And so it's not something that has to be prolonged, though. When God wants to cut it, he will cut it. And mm -hmm. when God wants to, you know, help you escape, he will. Um, and give you strength to do it because he shares our pain. So, you know, all of these tangents here. But I haven't seen it in a, uh, I haven't seen medicine used in an abusive way. And this is just something to think about. Yeah, I like that. That's really good. Um with within the verse that you provided i was just reminded of grace and mm -hmm. how um the lord really gives us the grace to endure like although he calls us to um to persevere and to endure things but it's not like he's saying to rely on your own power or to rely on your own strength but really the way that we endure is by simply surrendering to mm -hmm. him and just um, accepting and embracing the grace that he has already given us. It's a gift and it's not something that we earn. It's not something that we strive for, but it's simply something that we embrace. So I really like um, that point. It's like, if, if we're going to endure, all we got to do is just say, okay, Lord, like, mm -hmm. let's do this. Like you do it. Like, right. I'm going I'm to say yes to you. That's all I have to give you mm -hmm. my surrender, like my yes. Mm -hmm. And then you're just going to do the rest. So yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and then so for the sake of time, last question. So after this whole discussion, Stephanie, what is one big thing you've learned and understood from this dialogue? Or what pieces of information will you take with you as you continue to pursue the field of occupational therapy? Yeah, um, I think prior to, you know, guest starring on this podcast, <laughs> uh, I didn't really connect my religious viewpoint with 
my studies mm-hmm. um, just because they seem like two polar opposite things mm-hmm. um, when I'm engaged at church that is something that you know I take seriously in my religion I don't I don't really connect religion with my profession mm-hmm. um, but I want to start you know finding these underlying similarities in values so one of the things that I you know learned um, and understood from this dialogue is I hope to treat my patients with love and compassion mm-hmm. right these these patients may be mentally suffering may be physically suffering um, but God has brought me here at Duke to study and to enter this professional world at his will right mm-hmm. if it wasn't for him I wouldn't be here um, and so I want to make sure that I'm remembering that throughout my days as a student and also mm-hmm. So as a future professional and as a future OT to make sure I'm treating um, my patients likewise and understanding the meaning of suffering, but not to be ruthless in that and to show empathy. Um, so, yeah, a lot of things, a lot of lessons learned that um, happened during this dialogue today. Yeah. Wow, Stephanie, thank you. I, I, I enjoy having you as my guest. <laughs> I enjoy it. You You're know, welcome. I enjoy. Yeah, this was amazing um i think i'm very encouraged towards you know the end of this dialogue or discussion and i think we've learned a lot about how just even how theology and just faith in general can Mm -hmm. make such a great impact on the way that we provide care Mm -hmm. for our clients and so yeah i'm very encouraged what about you steph yes i am very very encouraged um a lot of food for thought and a lot (laughs) of things that you know i think will remain with me throughout the weeks and the months so i'm glad that we had you know i'm glad that you invited me to this podcast and i hope that you make other episodes um (laughs) to really you know talk your thoughts yay thank you stephanie it was a pleasure having you bye bye our (laughs) viewers and listeners (laughs) thank you everyone for tuning in and this was um talks with glow you can you a, a short acronym for it is twg I don't know how long I'll carry this on, but um, yeah, thank you for tuning in, everyone. I appreciate it so much. Bye-bye, everybody. Goodbye. Good night.